0: listening to a Clovis Hills podcast, you're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app, where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions, they're on there too, and you can study God's word together. God bless you guys, and go be the church. Uh, good morning, Hills family. How we doing? Oh, you guys are rowdy today. This is great. Uh, I want to say good morning to all of you that are watching at our campuses and online, and Um, If you're watching online, you probably didn't hear the music as I walked out. It's my theme song. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg won't let us play music because he's the fun police. But anyways, my theme song, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller, okay? So anyways, good morning to uh, those that are in the blend right now, 10.30 in the venue. Good morning to you guys. Old Town Campus, campus, Pastor Dwayne, I know we went a little long here on worship, so he got to give his announcements for, uh, he likes giving long announcements anyways, right? Uh, We've got our people in Novato, Porterville, Tulare Street, what's up to you guys, welcome everyone, we're glad, glad to to be here in the house of God, amen? Amen, Amen. all right, well, um, you know, I was praying about, you know, okay, Lord, what, what, you know, As we get to this passage this week, we've been going through the book of Acts. It's a series we're doing. We're calling it Full Send. And um, if you know the story from last week, if you, if, you're, if you listened online or you were here last week or where, where, if you heard it, we, Peter and John go to the temple. And it was a cool saying is I literally, I, I didn't get a ton of sermon prep time last week because I was literally standing in the place where Peter and John healed the, the guy in Acts chapter 3. So I was like, you know, and I, all kinds of things were rushing through my brain. But they go to the temple gate, beautiful. There's a man outside the gate. They heal him. He's healed. Everyone freaks out. Everyone is, knows this is the guy that's been, you know, laying at the gate every day for years. And, he's 40 years old for years and years and years. And now he's walking. He goes into the temple for his very first time. He worships. He's praising God. I'm sure he might have done a little. He's dancing. He's got it all. And so I'm praying about this week because now, now there's some people upset about it. And I'm talking about being bold. And, and um, throughout my life as a Christian, there have been times where I've been very bold. And there have been times where I probably um, was a jerk. There's a difference. And then there's, probably, there's times where I've, I've demurred and I've chickened out as well. And I was just praying and I was, and I was thinking about... Um, you know, when I was in, in, in a, I was in a band before I was a pastor and we were on tour and it wasn't like, sometimes people romanticize it, like we weren't like that famous, like we were two bands sharing a van and a trailer and we would share a hotel room a lot of times, like eight of us, nine of us sleeping on the floor, you know, it was not glamorous whatsoever. We were just trying to make it, right, and get gas to the next city and maybe be able to eat a meal or two that wasn't Little Caesars. So, Um. But I remember some places we'd play. We'd play at churches, and it'd be great because we were a Christian punk band, and the band we were playing with was like this kind of Christian rap metal band, and we were touring with them. And um, the churches would be great, and they'd be packed out, and people would love it. And then we had to play other places too. We'd play bars, and we'd play punk clubs. And if there was no, if we were driving through a town and we needed to stay the night, we'd go. You know, sometimes we'd play in people's backyards wherever we could to sell some CDs, sell some shirts, get gas to the next town. And I remember um, there's just some places though, you go in and you ever walked in a place and you just got the heebie-jeebies? Like you walked in and you're like, ooh, this is dark. And I remember it was in in Seattle, Washington or outside of Seattle and we we go in and it's in a basement. And we go down in this basement and it's a a punk club and just walked in and we knew like, oh, this, I just sense evil in the room. There were like Raiders flags everywhere. (laughs) That's how you guys got Russell Wilson from Seattle. I knew it. Anyways, I'm kidding. It there, there, there wasn't that. But it was just dark. It just felt dark. And um, we played our set. And I could just tell that the crowd was kind of like, like they were not with us. And then um, the band we were touring with, we would take turns opening and playing after each other. So they went up. And as, as I'm walking off stage, the singer of the band I look at him, and he has this look on his face like he's bothered, and I go, what's wrong? He goes, well, someone just spray-painted a pentagram on our trailer and slashed both the tires, and I was like, oh, okay, so I walk off stage, and he's just a big, scary, tattooed dreadlocks, like, you know, I'm like, oh, I hope Sunday doesn't kill anyone tonight, um, <laughs> kind of guy, and he's from the streets, and he, yeah, he's just tough, and I remember um, walk, walking off stage, and they play, and the, the crowd's kind of into them, but it's just not, it's not happening. You can just tell there's something dark in the room. And a, a, about mid-song, he, bring, he brings the band down, and he says, and he starts pointing at all of them, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Sonny's going to get us in a fight tonight. <laughs> and he says, you know, um, and someone had just thrown, like, a beer bottle at him, and he dodged it, and he's kind of pointing, and he goes, you can throw things at me. You can slash our tires. You can paint a pentagram on our trailer. You can do anything you want to us. But it will never stop me from loving you. Because there's a God who has come who loves you and has a plan for And he just started giving the gospel just like boldly. And the room, it wasn't like today where everyone's like, Amen! Yeah! Alright! It was like dead silent. And he just boldly, proclaim the gospel, and then he was done, and it was dead silent in the room. Everyone was just like. Yeah, they went to a punk club to like pe- run in a circle and punch each other, right? When, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't dance like that. We ran in a circle and hit each other, and we called it dancing. But anyways, <laughs> they were kind of like, they didn't know what to do with it, and it was just dead silent, and he just looks back at the band and he goes, one, two, three, and the boom, they start playing again. And the crowd kind of started Punching each other again and doing that kind of thing. And I remember the show was over and we sold some CDs and some shirts and we were loading the trailer back up, um, waiting for AAA to come and replace our tires, and um, which we realized we had to unload the trailer later when they came, but whatever, we were young. Um, while we're loading the trailer with a big pentagram on it now, these two kids come walking up and they're just crying and they go we did this and we're really sorry and all of a sudden these big burly tattoo arms go and grab them and I'm like don't choke them (laughs) and he just hugs them out and he just holds them and they're crying and he's holding them and he's praying for them and he's blessing them and uh my friend that night taught me something about being bold. We live in a world where they want us to be bold about a whole, there's a million um, soapboxes we could stand on in this world. There's a million of them. There's all kinds of great causes we could be bold about. But um, for him and what we're going to find in the scripture is when God calls us to be bold, it's for his gospel, it's for his good news, that he has come, that he loves you. That he sent Jesus to die for your sins and whoever would believe in him will not perish and have eternal life. That God has not given up on you. Amen. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Okay, so listen. listen. Today we're going to read from the book of Acts chapter 4. It's a long one. Bear with me, but it's a narrative, and I, I feel it's, it's important. And we're going to read verses uh, four one through tw- or chapter four verses one through twenty two. And I want to remind you, Peter and John have just healed this this man that was crippled. He's gone into the temple. There's a frenzy. Everyone is praising God, freaking out. Oh my gosh! And they begin to tell Peter preaches to them and tells them about Jesus. And now, what we're going to read is all the religious folk are upset about it because it screwed up their system. So if you would, I would love it, in whatever campus you're at, whatever room you have, if you could stand in honor of God's word, and we'll read from the word of the Lord. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. But because it was evening, they put them into jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there. So, was, so were Caiaphas, John Alexander, and the, other high priest family, the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, And began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Rulers and elders of the people. If we're being being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame. And we're being asked how he was healed. Then know this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we gonna do about these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign and we can't deny it. we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is God's word. You may be seated. So that's a long passage and there's a lot of things we, I could, we could teach on in that. I'm just letting you know, I'm going to give you three today. Maybe we'll come back to it another day. But there's three things that, that stood out as I was praying over this passage this week. And the, the, the first is this, is um, when, we read, when we read in the book of Acts, and especially in this passage, you, we notice healthy things tend to reproduce. Um, if, if you uh, are a farmer and you are growing apples, right, the, um, an apple tree, if it's healthy, will reproduce. As a matter of fact, every apple holds another apple tree in it. It holds the seeds to, to, to an a- apple in it. So healthy things reproduce. And um, it's, it's kind of a principle of our spirituality is that when you are walking with God, you will reproduce spiritually. You may not be leading people left and right to Jesus, but you're gonna play part in people coming to Christ. You're gonna be serving in an area where people are coming to Christ. God might use your story as you share it during the week. God, God uh, may use your testimony somehow, but People are going to be coming to Christ where you're at. Healthy things grow and healthy things reproduce. Look what it says in Acts 4.4, 4, in verse 4 of this passage. It said, But many who heard the passage believe, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now I need you to understand something. As we've been going through the book of Acts, right, the church started at Pentecost about 120 to 150 people, Right? Um, Pastor Scott a couple weeks ago talked about how then there were 3,000 who came to faith in one day, and back then they, you know, and it, it says it even clearly here. There's 5,000 now, and now, back then you have to understand um, they they only counted the men when they counted back then. They were not Baptists. I'm a ba- I count like a pregnant cat if it comes through as nine, <laughs> right? So they, they 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 didn't they counted 5,000 men. And most of those men had a boon, a shorty, right? No, that's funny. Everyone at Tulare Street's cracking up right now. <laughs> they, they all had a had a. They had a so you know, it would have been more like ten to twelve to fifteen thousand people. And this is why. As a church, we offer vehicles of discipleship for people so that you can grow in your faith because we know when you grow in your faith, when you grow closer to God, you become part of that, that movement of people reproducing, of new, new disciples being made. Um, this is why we do our 101 through 401 classes. This is why Pastor Scott got up here, encouraged you to take the 401 class, learn to share your story. You never know how your story or something you said might move someone to, to, to take that step of faith w- with Jesus. Um, this is why Easter is so important this year. I don't know if you guys realize it, but um, if you've looked around, the auditorium it's pretty full in here. Y'all are coming back. Welcome back. Now, there's nothing wrong. I, I know people, I was visiting with some people that have been watching online for the two, last two years. And um, some people are still online, and we love that. That's a new way to stay connected. But, but here's what I want you to know. On Easter, like this Easter is a prime time to really see people connect with God again. Now let me explain to you why, why that is. One, typically um, when you invite someone to church, if you invite them on a Christmas or an Easter, they're far more likely to come if they don't go to church But also, um, what you're finding is there's, I've been a pastor for over 20-something years, and I've learned this about people. um, People usually start looking for God when there's a trial, a trauma, or a transition in their life. And being that the world is going so smoothly and perfectly right now, no one's going through trials right now, right? Right? No one's going through trauma right now, right? No one's going through any transitions in their life, right? No, no, everything is super static in this world. It's just steady Eddie as we go, nothing changes, right? No, this is a time that, that God could use you with the power of an invitation. And, and it, it, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. So this is why we plant churches. This is why we, we start new church campuses, because healthy things grow, Someone asked me, they said, well, why, why are you doing, um, why, why are you taking some of these older churches and plant, putting campuses in them? And um, I know this, in California, um, a church building, like property, I don't know if you know, but real estate's kind of expensive in California. Right? And, and COVID has pushed a lot, of, has been hard on a lot of smaller churches. In this world, and a lot of them are closing their doors. And if they close their doors and they sell that property, it becomes a gas station. It becomes a jack in the box. There's nothing wrong with jack in the box, but I remember driving through Santa Barbara once, and there was a church that was turned into a skate shop. It was called the Church of (laughs) Skating. Clever, but heartbreaking. And I say, not on our watch. No, there needs to be, because what happens is that every time that a church closes and that property is given away or sold or whatever it is, the local expression of the church is no longer in that neighborhood anymore. And we, God has blessed us in some way. I don't know how that, that we're, we're able to, you guys are crazy. Every time we open one, we're like, hey, we need some people to go to that campus. And everyone goes, Oh go. And then you go. And then I'm like, where'd they go? And a whole bunch of new people come here. And it's a beautiful thing because healthy things grow, healthy things reproduce. But the other thing, and I think the more important thing we learn in this passage, is about the Holy Spirit. And and really the book of Acts is about how the Holy Spirit is moving in the first Christians right? Jesus left. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. When it comes on you, you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then the Holy Spirit comes on them and they're the witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And as a matter of fact, it carries on to us. So it's about the movement of the Holy Spirit. And I find this incredibly fascinating as I've read the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes on people. And let me, let me explain to you how, how um, the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, it's God, it's God's Spirit living in the heart of a believer, living in a believer. And what happens is, when you become a believer in Jesus, the Bible says that the the Spirit of God now lives in you, that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. that That the presence of God no longer lives in buildings. This is a beautiful building. We have lots of beautiful buildings that people have sacrificed for. But now the presence of God is no longer in a temple or a church building. The presence of God lives in the heart of the believer. So who's the church? Oh, come on. I hear you at Old Town. Who's the church, Old Town? There you go. Okay. So listen. You have have to know. We're the church because we carry the Spirit of God in us. But sometimes we we think that... um, the. To be full of the Holy Spirit means that you have some kind of goosebump moment. That, That is not really the case we find when we read the book of Acts. Whenever the Holy Spirit fills a person up, like, kind of takes over in a person. They're in full control. And the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, number two, the chief aim of the Holy Spirit is to lift Jesus high. Here's what happens. Every time they're full of the Spirit, they start telling people about Jesus. They don't bark like dogs. They don't fall over. They don't do weird stuff. They tell people about Jesus. This is a mark that you are full of the Spirit is that you're bold with your faith. Now, here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. I love I, You know, it's an old story. I heard Dr. Tony Campolo tell it years ago, but it makes a good point. Is, uh, you know, there was a small, in a small town, Baptist church. You know, if, if you're in a small town, there might be one or two churches and everyone knows each other, right? And every week the pastor would get up, preach a sermon, and he'd give an altar call and he'd call people forward to accept Jesus. And every week the town drunk sat in the back. He'd come in from a bender. He still hadn't been asleep. Hadn't fallen asleep yet. He'd come into church. He'd sit there. He'd hear the pastor preach the gospel. He'd be convicted of his alcoholism. He'd feel terrible. He'd start crying. They'd play the song, Come Just As You Are, you know. And then he would come forward, right? And as he'd come forward, he'd be, you know, crying, Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Every week. And, and, and there, there's no doubt that this man believed in Jesus. He just was struggling in his alcoholism. And he'd come forward every week, fill me, Jesus. It was just a thing. Everyone knew it was going to happen. I'm sure the kids in church are like, when's the drunk guy coming? Right? One week he comes forward and he's doing he's crying, fill me, Jesus, fill me, Jesus. And there's this cranky old Baptist in the back, the lady that just yells, don't do it, Lord, he leaks. Cold, right? But the truth is we all leak. We all leak. And every day, I, I try and spend time with God in the morning, and I pray, and I confess my sin, and I ask God to fill me with his Holy Spirit, and and um, throughout the day, I leak. And this is why, like, I'm learning in throughout my day that I'm always talking to God, that I'm always connecting with God, that I'm making specific times to... to You know, in moments when people are talking to me, like, Holy Spirit, fill me, help me to listen, give me the right words to say, those those kind of things. But churches, some churches are very well-meaning, but they think the only way you got full of the Holy Spirit is if something, like, crazy happened. And usually when you're full of the Holy Spirit, the crazy thing that happens is people come to Jesus, that's the crazy thing, that Jesus is lifted up and the world's drawn to him. Look, look what it says here in verse 8, verse 8 through 11. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers, elders of the people, if we're being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Now there's a lot in there that he's saying, and if I had another like six hours, I could teach you all of it, but I'm going to give you the gist of it. One, when he was full of the Holy Spirit, he begins to tell these religious people about Jesus, and he does it in a respectful, but a very bold way. I don't know if you know this, but the Sanhedrin, the religious court of Israel of Israel that day, the Sanhedrin didn't believe in the resurrection, and he Peter did not mince words with them. He said, yes, there is a resurrection. God raised Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. And he's the one you've rejected. And he gives them this opportunity to, to, to repent, to turn from going this way and say, oh, I had it all wrong. I'm going to go God's way. But here's the interesting thing. I talked about repentance last week, and I want to I take it a, a little, little further. See, my guess is most of you came to worship together as the church um, here at North or at Old Town or in, in the venue or at Tulare or Novato, all of, all of our campuses. You came hoping to draw nearer to God. Now, I always know there's a few in the rooms like, no, nope, I came for a special lady. We're watching for you guys. <laughs> That's all right. That's why I came to church too. But now I'm here, so be careful. <laughs> but see, I, I think I think what happens in our life is we we want we we believe that Jesus is Lord, and the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. But but there's this interesting thing. Um, there's not a lot of life change happening. And I was the same way. I remember when I, when I tried, started getting serious about my faith, like I, I would come, all of a sudden I was listening to what, what the preacher was saying. I was trying to understand the Bible better. I was starting to worship a little bit. I was, I was you know, and then, um, but then the rest of the week, you would have never known I was a Christian. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have known by how I talked, how I lived, any of that. Um, I was saved. The grace of God is that big. Isn't that good? Amen. But I was still basically just living like a pagan. And I was missing out on what God had for my life. And God is a gentleman. He'll just sit back and go, you done yet? You happy yet? You happy yet? And you won't ever be happy living life your way. As a matter of fact, you'll end up feeling miserable in the long run. Sometimes it's a quick route to it depending on what your thing is. Sometimes it's a long route to it. But, but here, here's the thing. I, I was reading this morning actually and, and um, they were talking about the, the happiest countries in the world. And uh, I, happiness is such a yuppie word, isn't it? And America was rated as one of the happiest countries in the world. <laughs> That's funny, huh? <laughs> well, I, I, you need to think about it though. If you're in Ukraine, it's pretty good. If you're in Afghanistan, pretty good. on a scale of 10 was Americans' happiness. Stinking Canadians were 7.1, they got us. (laughs) They're just always a little nicer, and you know. The Finnish though, Finland, 7.6. But happiness, really, we've likened that as a culture to our salvation that if i can just go on this vacation i'll be happy if i just get this job i'll be happy if i just if my kids go to this college then i'll be happy or if my kids do this or they accomplish this then i'll be happy if my grandchildren do this then i'll be happy and we're always reaching for happiness and you get it for a moment and it's like grabbing jello it just slips through our hands we can never get a firm grip on it and deep in the in our bones deep in the soul of our culture we're incredibly unhappy believe it or not because here's the reality is we're looking for salvation in a moment in a thing in a person and there's no person in your life there's no moment you'll ever have in your life there's no thing in your life that can bear the weight of giving you meaning in life as a matter of fact you'll crush those people under the weight of your expectations and this is what I love about verse 12. I want to read you verse 12 of this passage because Peter looks at the, these religious people. Religion will not get you happiness. He looks right at these religious people because you can be super religious, go to church, pay your tithes, go to growth group, memorize the Bible, do all that stuff. You know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run with people, do all that stuff, and still be totally miserable. Churches across around the world are filled with miserable people because they've grabbed onto religion. And Peter sums it up here. He says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we we must be saved. And Peter just kind of boldly tells these people that have the ability to have him killed. Remember, Peter was there when Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin. Peter was there when when the Romans had had him scourged and whipped and and he chickened out and he ran away and he hid. Peter saw all of that and now it was his moment. And what was different? What was different? Was it that he he worked up the courage? No. It says that he was full of the Spirit. And that when you are full of God's Spirit... He does things in you you could never imagine. He does things through you you could never imagine. I love seeing young people get on fire for Jesus. I love looking out and seeing the youth ministry kids singing and worshiping up here. Some of you are probably like, what are they doing? That's okay. Okay. But, but I, want, I want you to know something. Sometimes, when the Spirit of God gets a hold of a, a, a young man, and instead of playing video games till three in the morning, he's worried about the plan God has for his life. Sometimes, God gets hold of an old man instead of playing golf seven days a week, he's worried about what God has for his life. But this is the, the part I love about this passage. So they're arrested. He preaches the gospel boldly. They don't know what to do with him. So they're like, just stop it, cut it out, go. And they they send him on their way. And then this is the thing about the church. Um, And I I think as Americans, we've missed it, right? They've just been arrested. They've been humiliated. They've been told, don't say that, don't do that. And uh, American Christians go, You're breaking our freedom. We're gonna protest. I'm gonna call Sean Hannity. I'm gonna on and on and on. Like we 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 get angry and we we you know we we demand and I want you to look what the the early church did, when they were shaken, when they were persecuted. Look what they, look what it says. It says they got together and they prayed. They didn't petition the, their their senator. They didn't call the governor. They didn't, you know, like post something on Instagram. You know, they, they, they didn't get their point across. It says they prayed. They went to their knees and look what they prayed. They said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great Boldness. Not bold for a political issue, not bold for, you know, there's a million soapboxes we could stand on right here. What they were wanted to be bold about, what they were asking God for, was not relief from their persecution, but help us be bold with the gospel. Help us be bold with the gospel. And then it says in verse 31 it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Guys, some of you, God is trying to shake you and get a hold of your, get your attention. Talk about being woke. Let Jesus wake you up. Watch what he does. See, I remember there's been multiple times in my life where God got my attention, because I was kind of sleepwalking. I was just doing my own thing. When I was praying this week, the, the, the one that came to mind, I, I was a young man, I was in high school, and I was 17, and I was just yeah, I believed in Jesus, I started going to church, I was kind of listening. I, I was kind of there. I, I wanted to, my life to change. And someone paid for me to go to like a youth leadership conference, which I was not a leader. I led people away from God, if anything, I was a doofus. But I wanted to get away from my family that weekend and I, they were gonna put me on a plane somewhere. And I was like, yeah, cool, I'll go. So I went and I remember being at it, feeling out of place. Cause it was like, you know, like super Christian people. And I was like, eh, where can I cause some trouble? Um, but I remember one night sitting in the back and the speaker is speaking. He's speaking about doing urban ministry in Detroit. And it wasn't anything profound, he said, but the Holy Spirit got me that night. And he was preaching his heart out and I don't even know what he said. And then the band started playing, everyone was singing and worshiping, they're all holding hands, having a kumbaya moment, like a, like a real moment, it was a beautiful thing. But the Holy Spirit, it got me. And I had to, it was too distracting, I had to leave. I just walked out, went back to my hotel room, I sat on my bed and I said, Okay, Jesus, I'm in. I'm in. I don't know how to do this, but I'm in. And I know it's some of your thing. You're like, "Oh, good, you just did it privately, and then you went on about your life." No. No, see the part of part of what Scripture talks about, right, is believing your heart, then declaring with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I went back to home Uh, next week at church. I asked the pastor. He was like, "Hey, how'd the conference go?" I go, "Hey, can I say something to the church?" Big mistake. He's like, sure. I didn't prepare anything. I got up and rambled for 10 minutes. I, I don't know what I said. But I knew and everyone in the room knew that God had gotten a hold of me. That Jesus said, Sean, wake up. And I was not perfect after that and I struggled in my faith and I struggled from time to time and God has been working on my testimony ever since. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will complete it. And I'm still at work. He's still at work in me. But here's what I want you to know. Some of you this morning, God's trying to wake you up. Some of you The Bible says that before you're in Christ, you're actually dead in your sin. And Jesus wants to awaken you, that you be born again, the Bible talks about. It says in in Revelation, Jesus Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. And it takes that, that act of courage to say, I've been going my way, but I want yours, Jesus. You don't even have to fully know what that looks like, but you have to take that act of faith and say, I want you, Jesus. And if you sense him knocking at the door of your heart, why would you not let him in? When would like, what are you going to do? You're going to keep banging your head against the wall? Keep grabbing at the wind for happiness that you'll never find, for peace that you'll never find, for satisfaction that you'll never find. Putting all of that, those expectations on other people, you're crushing them. And Jesus says, I'm here, I stand at the door and I knock. It says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, when you receive him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. But you have to make that decision. We're going to pray in a moment, and um, maybe today, you know, you've, you've been a believer your whole life, but this is one of those moments where God went, hey, hey, wake up. Maybe today's the day you thought you were a believer, but you realized, you know, I've been dead in my sins. I've given intellectual assent to God, but Jesus is real. I want to invite you to just pray, just invite them into your heart. Whether you're rededicating your life, whether you're level up, you're going to level up in your faith, or maybe today's the day that you realize, I am dead in my sins and I need you, Jesus. Let's pray.